All right. Welcome to the new stuff, the good stuff. This is The Course Reports, the real deal behind the scenes inside look into the professional golf venues around the world. You love the game, you follow the game, well, you found it. Bringing it to you from a perspective that nobody else can. Inside the ropes, on the greens, the smooth and true facts. This is The Course Reports. I'm Curtis Tyrell, Certified Golf Course Superintendent and Master Greenskeeper. I'm your host. It's time to get on the green. It's time for The Course Reports. Welcome, listeners, to episode one of The Course Reports. My name's Curtis Tyrell, Certified Golf Course Superintendent, Master Greenskeeper, and for the last 25 years of my career, I've been maintaining, renovating, building, working on the best golf courses around the world, or at least some of the top facilities around the world. And now I'm shifting gears a little bit, and I'm going to try to bring you, the listener, the golf fan, the type of information that you're looking for, which is the background, the inside insight into agronomy architecture of the professional tournament venues around the world. We're going to focus not only on the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour, but we'll jump over to Europe, Australia, Latin America, anywhere where the pros are playing. And we're going to talk about what kind of grass they're growing, how they're growing it, who's growing it, who built the golf course, any projects that they've had, any challenges that they're facing. You name it, we're going to bring it up. And we're not just going to stick to the pro venues either. We're going to get into college and amateur events. We're going to talk about classic golf courses. We're going to talk about relative renovations and construction projects all over the globe, hot jobs, and all kinds of stuff going on out there. We want to be your source for golf course conditioning insight. And our goal really is to hope that it improves not only your viewing experience when you're watching the pros play each week, but we hope that it improves your playing experience. So when you're out there on the golf course and you think you're playing on a green speed of 12 or you think you're hitting out of a bunker that's firm, we're going to try to teach you a little bit so that you enjoy the game that much more. So this week we're going to feature the PGA Tours Valspar Championship at Innisbrook's Copperhead Golf Course, the Maybake Championship at Saljana Golf and Country Club Palm Course out in Malaysia for the European Tour, the Bank of Hope Founders Cup at the JW Marriott Wildfire Golf Club for the LPGA, and the Web.com's Chitimaca Louisiana Open played at Le Triumph Golf Club in Broussard, Louisiana. And that's all super exciting, and there's a lot of great stuff to talk about. But more exciting than that is our guest panel today. And our guest panel features a couple of legendary guys, power players in the golf industry, starting with Reese Jones, world-famous, legendary golf course architect. Reese, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the program. My pleasure, Curtis. How are you doing today? Doing great. Good. You've been doing a lot of traveling? Yes, I'm working in Japan and Korea and uh, the Dominican Republic and various projects in the United States. So um, things are going pretty well. Do you even count air miles anymore, Reese? No, but I have a lot of status on the airlines. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, perfect. And our next guest is Arizona Golf Hall of Fame Golf Course Superintendent, Director of Agronomy of the world-famous Desert Mountain Properties, Sean Emerson. Sean, thanks for joining us. How are you this morning? Ah, pretty good. It's awful early here, Curtis. 
<laughs> you know, I just wanted to make sure you uh, remembered what it looked like when the sun came up. Oh, I do. It's the best part of the day in the morning. I agree. Uh, green and empty. When you're on the golf course, and it's green, <laughs> green and empty, that's my favorite time. <laughs> well, for our listeners, you know, the way this is going to work is the Course Reports is a panel. So we have great guests like you on, and the three of us are just going to talk about all the things that are out there and things that are going on and, and, and share with the guests um, all the stuff they're looking to know. So, But before we do that, what I wanted to do was kind of talk with each of you a little bit about all the things that you've been doing in your careers and are doing currently. And so, Reese, I thought we'd start with you. I tried to count the golf courses that you've built or remodeled on your website, and I got somewhere around 200 and lost count. So, I mean, you have over 200 uh, venues accredited to your name. 25 of them are major championship venues. So you have, obviously, a Hall of Fame legendary career Tell the listeners what it's been like uh, living the life of a golf course architect. Well, I started when I was a kid because my father, Robert Trent Jones, took us on every vacation where he was uh, working. And so I got to see a lot of projects in the dirt and learn from his foreman, Bill Baldwin. So uh, it's been a great life. I've traveled around the world. I've traveled around the country. And uh, my mother used to say that this industry is the best because of the people you meet. And I think that's very true. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'll never forget the day that I met you, Reese, which was at the Lake of Isles in Stonington, Connecticut, which was a quite a large project, two golf courses that uh, you built side by side. And we got to spend two years working together, building that and, and sits there today in excellent condition and, and just an amazing venue. But what, really was amazing about that day that I met you was you pulled me aside and you said, Curtis, anytime that I come to this site, which will be a lot, you said, I want to make sure that you join me as I walk through the golf course, because we're going to talk about how maintenance is influenced by what I design. And I just thought that was, you know, not only was at the time was I just, you know, honored to meet you, but to have you say that you wanted me around when you were visiting really just blew my mind and it really started my career off and running. And uh, do you remember that? I do. And I really believe that because basically creating golf courses is a team effort. It's a team effort between the, the golf course designer, his associate, and in that case, it was Steve Weiser and Bryce Swanson and also the owner. We have to engage him because it's his money and also the contractor and the foreman of the contracting firm. So we all have to work together because the final product is what matters. Absolutely. And that really was a team in effort. All the various people involved that you just mentioned were, were all part of the team there. And, and as we've worked together for many years now, it's continued to be that way. And it's been great working with you. This year is a big year for you, although I guess on the PGA Tour and many of the tours out there, Reese, all, all the years are a big year for you. But uh, this year, you've got uh, the PGA Championship heading to Bethpage State Park, uh, the Black Golf Course, and in May, for that matter. So how's everything shaping up out there, and what do you think about uh, the tournament being played in May? Well, to some degree, I'm pleased that it's uh, switching to May because – I think more people will go to the event in May than they would in August when a lot of people take their vacations. Uh, last year, I had the event at my completely rebuilt Belle Reve Golf Course, which 
Tiger almost won, but Brooks Kepka made me look good because he certainly is a major champion. Bethpage Black is one of my favorite places because it's where David Fay and I really got the publicly owned golf course to become a major venue site. It was the first time a publicly owned golf course ever hosted a major championship. And Tiger Woods won, which was appropriate because he grew up on on uh, public golf courses. Uh, so I think this year's event will be a success. The winter has been good. The grass is in good shape. Andrew Wilson is doing a great job there. And uh, I think uh, it's going to be fine. Everybody asks me what it's going to be like because uh, we're just coming out of the winter. But May is certainly a beautiful month in New York. Absolutely. It sure can be. And looking forward to that tournament. I mean, I, the last two U.S. Opens that were held there were fantastic. And not only is the PGA Championship uh, being played there this year, but in 2024, my favorite event, the Ryder Cup, will be at Bethpage Black. So lots of championship golf being played there. But that's not it for you this year, Reese, right? So we're going to Medina for the BMW Championship, which is a special tournament for both of us. Yes, and the players, uh, since you and I completely rebuilt Medina number 3, find it to be a great test, but a fair test, and they enjoy playing it. Uh, So it's going to be an appropriate test of golf in the FedEx Cup Finals because that's certainly um, a major event for the tour, and it's the culmination of the season, and it's worth a lot of money. (laughs) That's right. Not quite as much as the Tour Championship, which is also one of your golf courses too. Yes, the Tour Championship at Eastlake, I'm very proud of that. That project. We did that 20 years ago. We've been fiddling with it ever since. It's just one of the great golf courses in the country, and Tom Cousins really bought, brought it back to what it is today. Bobby Jones, the great golfer, grew up on that golf course. It had been going in disrepair, and it was changed for the Ryder Cup back in 19, early 1960s, and uh, we brought it back to the Donald Ross style. And uh, again, it's uh, set up in the normal fashion with the tight fairways with like a three-inch rough. It's a Bermuda rough. It really tests the best. They find it to be a championship of, uh, test, but it doesn't beat them up, but they, but they have a hard time beating it. Yeah, it was uh, quite an event last year with Tiger Woods winning and uh, at one point in time in the round actually having a chance to win the whole FedEx Cup but uh, what a championship venue it is and as we move through the course reports each week and we get back to these major championships that we're talking about with you Reese hopefully I'll be able to convince you since you're so good with the technology now to just jump back on and and we can (laughs) we can dive back into it a little deeper you got a deal all right well Sean you've been busy at Desert Mountain for the last 25 years, have you not? No, absolutely. So tell our listeners about your career a little bit and about Desert Mountain. Well, you know, I'm a, like Reese, I'm a second generation superintendent. My father was one for many years in the East Coast, came to Arizona in 1982. I jumped into the business and started working on golf courses, raking bunkers and everything that you do, pushing a rotary mower. Uh, moved my way up through the ranks and was fortunate enough to run into you at the PJ West, uh, where I was as golf course superintendent on the stadium course and the Nick tournament. Uh, but then went to Desert Mountain in 1996, which is six Jack Nicholas designed golf courses. And we're soon building a par three golf course from uh, Wendell Pickett. So we have everything out at Desert Mountain. And Curtis, you know, everybody talks about championship golf. We have a championship this weekend. 
it's our club championship. And I think a lot of superintendents and all over the country, that's just about as big event as anything else as they have. So there's always a championship somewhere in this country every day. You couldn't be more right, John. I mean, as a golf course superintendent, we love tournament golf. And the most important events are our member events. We want to put on a a level of conditioning and an experience for our members that is better than what they see on TV, isn't it? So it's always fun to gear up for those on-site member events like the club championship, member guests, things like that. Yeah, and I think the biggest myth, Curtis, that people talk when they see these fantastic tournaments on TV is it it just doesn't just happen. And they're not that way every day. Probably the greatest experience, I've had a lot of senior tour events and a couple PGA Tour events in my career. People look on TV and say, voila, it's there. But as you know, it it takes many weeks to get ready and and there's painful steps afterwards to get back to normal play. So I don't want people to think on television that's just the golf course. I mean, that's it, it, it's special for a tournament, but there's a lot of things we do to get it ready. No question about it. It's it's about peaking, isn't it? So when you have a an event out in time that you're gearing up for, you have to condition your golf course just like an athlete would condition themselves to prepare and ultimately perform when the green light is on, right? Absolutely. Sean, you've got a big project going on out there with the Renegade Golf Course, and there's some interesting things you're doing with grass selection. So what's happening? Well, we're taking a golf course built in 1986, Renegade Golf Course, that was actually had two greens on every hole. And we decided that uh, it was time to renovate the golf course irrigation-wise. So we looked at everything, and we decided to redo the grass type. And that's something I was going to talk to Reese about. You know, when you design a golf course, do you change it based on what grasses you have? But we're going to go with, because of most of the play in the winter, we're actually going to put bent grass fairways at Desert Mountain. And what we're going to do is create golf courses that are have bent grass fairways. Some golf courses will have Bermuda grass, just to change it up so the members have something different to play all the time. Because uh, certain grasses last only certain months. You know, it's hard to be good golf for 12 months a year. Uh, usually I find you can get nine or 10 months. We're making those changes and that commitment to have a bent grass golf course in the Southwest. Yeah, that's really kind of cutting edge for the Phoenix Valley to have a 100% cool season golf course. Your elevation at Desert Mountain allows you to grow both types cool and warm season grasses, doesn't it? How, what's your elevation there at Desert Mountain? We're almost close to 3,000. So if you look at us, we're closer in elevation to Prescott, Arizona than we are to the valley floor. So from the airport, if you get into Phoenix, you're about 1,000, 1,200. And you, by the time you get to Desert Mountain, we're at 3,000 foot elevation. Most people really don't understand how much influence that has in terms of your nighttime and daytime temperatures and, and ultimately what type of grass you're growing. But we could talk for hours about all that stuff and uh, we will get back to it. But real quick, you brought up a point, Reese. Uh, how much does the grass selection come into play when you're designing a golf course at the early stages or the late stages? Well, obviously, we have to worry about the climate when we choose our grasses. And now there are all kinds of new grasses coming on the scene. We're uh, putting celebration on a lot of golf courses. We're putting latitude on a lot of courses. And they seem to be very effective, but they're not really great rough grasses. So at Shadowwood and 
um, Naples, we have 419 roughs and celebration fairways, which I think is a great combination because then you can have, you know, a really good line, the fairways, but still an adequate rough adjacent to them. We have all celebration at City Park in New Orleans, and that rough really gets a little puffy and the ball doesn't sink down. But that's good because that's a public golf course where people are out there just to enjoy themselves. Absolutely. And I think uh, for our listeners, what's important to know is that there's a lot behind grass selection, golf course infrastructure, and everything that goes into building a great golf course and conditioning, not only for daily play, but as uh, we were pointing out for tournament play. And speaking of tournament play, let's just dive into our first venue, the Copperhead Golf Course at the Innisbrook Resort. They're going to be hosting the Valspar Championship. Last year was won by Paul Casey for a total purse of $6.7 million. And the superintendent there is a Carnoustie, Scotland native, Ryan Stewart. He spent 16 years at Innisbrook. It's a Larry Packard design in 1972. And in 2015, they did some renovation to the golf course, which Ryan shared with me that really all they did was reset the bunkers basically put them back where they were put them back to their original designs stretch the greens back out a lot of golf courses after 30 40 years have changed in complexion greens shrink bunkers change you encounter that a lot in your work i imagine absolutely um remodeling is a uh, major facet of the golf course architecture profession right now and uh, we're going into a lot of courses that have been there for a long time. And I think one of the major factors is the green shrinking. And we got to bring them back to the original sizes. You sometimes get a donut around the green, so the drainage isn't as good. Uh, the grass types now have improved. And so we're really changing them to have a better grass type. We're really perhaps changing a lot of our greens back to Tiff Eagle uh, Bermuda grass because it seems to have been really good for a long time. We uh, modify some of the contours um, uh, quite often on some of our golf courses because the green speeds now are so much faster and the green chairman, the green committees want to have greens that were designed for 7, 8 on the stint meter at 11.5 to 12. So again, you have to modify the greens surfaces much like Augusta National has been doing for years now because the green speeds have increased so much there. That's fascinating stuff. So golf courses of yesteryear had greens that were designed to have green speeds around seven, eight, or nine on the stint meter. And and for our listeners, a stint meter is a mechanism or a tool that we use to measure the consistency of green speed or a ball roll in terms of feet. And so it wasn't really intended to measure the speed of the green, but that's what it's developed into. And nowadays with the technology of modern grass breeding and superintendents skill sets, we have Greens that were intended to have speeds of 8, 9, rolling 12 and 13. And boy, that can that can create havoc for the everyday golfer out enjoying uh, a round of golf with a lot of three putts and four putts. But uh, Reese, you mentioned Tiff Eagle. That's what Innisbrook Copperhead has. They did that in 2015. And they're overseeding those greens this week. So what you're going to see on TV for our viewers is a real dark, rich color which is a grass called rough bluegrass or poa trivialis, which is commonly used in overseeding out in the desert, isn't it, Sean? Oh, yeah. It's really good for the winter play. 
It's got a very fine texture. And by what we mean by that is a very narrow leaf blade. And when used in an overseeding application, it stands very upright and you get some really great ball roll. The golf course at Innisbrook is famous for the snake pit. Reese, how familiar are you with Copperhead and the snake pit? Well, I've played it years ago. It's really a wonderful layout. Larry Packard was a fine designer that probably doesn't get enough credit. He's also a really great guy. And Wadsworth built all his golf courses at the time, so they were built correctly. So Copperhead is really not the hardest golf course on site. And I think that's what attracts the PGA Tour players to Innisbrook because it's a really good golf course that they can score on. And I think that's what they like to do. For the tour, we try not to design courses as hard as we do for the PGA Championship or the U.S. Open because the pros don't definitely go to those events. We have to engage them and attract them to the site. So we really don't want to have the golf course as hard as a major championship venue. It is one of the tour players' favorite golf courses. They they note that in each year. And uh, they are celebration wall-to-wall there. All of it overseeded with perennial ryegrass, except for the greens, again, are Tiff Eagle overseeded with Poa Trivialis. And speaking with Ryan Stewart, he shared with me that the weather's been awful hot down here in Florida, and he's doing everything he can to keep that ryegrass alive for another week, meaning after the tournament, he doesn't care if that ryegrass and that Poa Triv goes away. But for the tournament, he wants that turf alive and those surfaces for the players. And so he says he's throwing a little more water than he'd like to keep things um, looking good as he moves into the tournament week. But he expects that once they get to the tournament week, it's going to cool down. They can shut the water off and hopefully have a pretty firm and beautiful golf course all in the same. I was going to say something that, you know, I saw it on Bay Hill last week. And, you know, the golf courses people look at, they if you go there on Tuesday or Wednesday, they're so much greener than they are on Sunday that the tendency at this level is to let the golf courses dry down. But a lot of it is because they want the firmness out of them. And biggest thing that superintendents use today are those soil moisture measurements and, and things like that. But if you really compare a PGA Tour event and then you go to the next level of open moisture and how firm the greens and the golf course get is really probably the biggest difference. No question about it. And the balancing act of being able to have it look and play adequately and as desired by your membership the week before and the week after, and then have it play that way for your professional level players for one week is really quite a tightrope act, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're watching it, I always do. I look at it on a golf course on Thursday and then compare it to on Sunday. And they always talk about the how much firmer the golf course is and the greens. And and you can see it on TV. Just look at the color and see the difference. And the uniformity kind of drops off as you get longer on the week. Right. And I think this week at Innisbrook, if, if the viewers are seeing things change on the golf course, what they'll be seeing is those cool season grasses that are overseeded into the Bermuda base starting to wilt, starting to burn out, which really is not a big deal. That surface probably plays better that way for a player of that level. And uh, once the tournament's over, they're going to be converting all of that grass out off the golf course and letting that Bermuda come through anyway. So when you see it, if it looks odd or burnt up, there's no concern. That's probably just fine by from everybody that's on site's standards anyway. Yeah, we noticed that at Pioneer's number two for the last open, 
there was a lot of brown areas because um, it was hot and I guess the irrigation system didn't get to a lot of areas, but the turf was still dormant. It was actually playable, and I think that's what you'll see. And also in Innisbrook, you know, with the overseed, don't forget Augusta National does the same thing. That's overseeded fairways there. So this is a good prep for the Masters, uh, for the players on the tour. Yeah, it's at the right time, isn't it? Uh, just uh, about a three, four weeks away, I guess. So that's it's perfect. Speaking of irrigation, or let's, sh- let's shift to rain, let's jump over to the European PGA Tour playing the Maybake Championship at Saljana Golf and Country Club in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, where they get roughly 120 inches of rain a year. So no shortage of water <laughs> in Kuala Lumpur. Ronald Freem's the golf course architect there. It's the Palm Golf Course. And Maud Razip Dahalan is the golf course superintendent since 2017. And um, I always enjoy watching these tournaments early in the morning over here in the United States in places like Malaysia and India. Do you guys ever check those out and, and or have you ever worked over there or have guys that have worked over there? Um, we haven't worked in that area, but <clears throat> Ron Freem was really a pioneer he worked for my father, Robert Trent Jones, for a while and learned uh, the craft from him. And uh, then he really embarked on taking the game of golf to some really distant spots and places where really golf didn't exist. So he really helped grow the game. And he was a very fine architect. He didn't always have the best sites, but he did a great job regardless of the site. So I think you're going to find a really fine golf course uh, not necessarily built by machines. In many cases uh, where he worked, uh, they had to build them by hand and just labor forces. So Ron Feem really deserves a lot of credit for growing the game, came around the world. So I think you're going to see a very special place this week. I haven't been there, but I have many friends and actually people who work with me have been there. And I think that that's the biggest thing is the conditioning golf courses throughout the world of getting better and better. You know, the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America is spreading. It's it's everywhere. And I, I think television golf actually opens up the world for everybody. And look at how many people from in the women's tour, especially the uh, Korean women that are so good at players and the events are going over there. So I really enjoy watching those golf courses and seeing the landscape around those golf courses. Definitely in modern times, the game, the global nature of the game is just so much more accessible. I mean, when I started in the business some 25, 30 years ago, certainly, obviously, it was being played all over the world, but just the way media and technology was, it was it was somewhat separated. But nowadays, you can watch a golf course in Malaysia the same week as you watch one in Tampa, Florida. So it's exciting. And, and Reese, that's some fascinating stuff that you shared with us. And you know, in terms of how they build golf courses or how things are done in places where resources aren't as available, that golf course, the Palm Golf Course, is known as the Cobra. And the reason is, is it was formed out of an old oil plantation that was filled with rats. So they introduced cobras onto the site to kill the rats. So not only were they not dealing with bulldozers and some of the nice things we have over here, they had to deal with cobras too. Yeah, and I think Building it with that much rain means it's going to take a long time to get it built, depending on the soil types. Uh, But also, when the players play there this week, they're going to find a golf course that really, uh, the ball will not roll into the rough as easily because the ball will slow down on the wet fairways. And then the greens are going to be very good targets. It's the golf course architect's nightmare uh, when it rains before a tournament. 
because then the defense of the greens and the defense of the pin positions uh, is decreased. Absolutely. It's a par 72, 7,024 yards. They're playing on Paspalums and Bermudas in Malaysia. Certainly a tough place to grow grass, a tough place to build a golf course, and it'll be exciting to watch that venue this week. Jumping back to the United States, the LPGA Tour is playing the Bank of Hope Founders Cup at JW Marriott's Wildfire Golf Club in Phoenix, your neck of the woods, Sean. Todd Norton has been there for 17 years. He's the golf course superintendent. And the architects, there's 36 holes there. They have an Arna Palmer and a Nick Faldo, and the golf course is played on a composite of both. Nine holes of Palmer, nine holes of Faldo. And certainly composite golf courses aren't new to multi-course facilities when they host a championship. But I think it's relatively different that that they have nine holes from one architect and nine holes from the other. Reese, have any of your golf courses ever been split up like that? Oh, yeah. At Brookline, my first U.S. Open that I um, rebuilt a lot of the greens and took that turf and expanded the greens back, the other greens back to the original sizes, added length, found bunkers that had been filled in. They have an open course. It's a, there's three nines at, at the country club at Brookline. And uh, we added holes from the Primrose Nine, and, it, and that's a composite course. And the U.S. Open will be played on a composite course in a few years from now there. So that's quite often done just to improve the quality of the design and the quality of the championship and, and give the players somewhat of a better test. Well, it's a $1.5 million purse. NB Park won last year. And they are also Bermuda grass wall to wall with Poa Trivialis overseeded on the greens, just like this week at Copperhead and perennial ryegrass overseeded in the fairways and rough. And, and certainly in my opinion, in my humble opinion, overseeded golf courses really are done at the highest level in the Sonoran desert and the Phoenix area. And Sean, you've been overseeding all your life. Share with our listeners about the overseeding process and what's involved just generally and, and uh, what the goals are. Well, as you know, uh, typically in overseed situations in Florida and Arizona, they're on a Bermuda golf course. Bermuda does not stay green year round once you start getting frost in the winter. So about Thanksgiving to about oh, mid-April, we would be brown. So we introduced perennial ryegrass on the fairways and rough and typically like you said, Poetriv on the greens to get the green color out there. Um, so you're growing two golf courses all year. And the hard part about it for us is that it takes about 45 days after you get the seed on the ground to get it up to a level of quality golf. And then you have to get rid of the ryegrass. You were talking about Copperhead. So uh, Todd does a magnificent job there at the Marriott. Uh, golf course will be great. It's a little colder than normal in Arizona. So it favors the ryegrass over the Bermuda. So you'll see some great contrast out there. Um, so I think it'll be great. I think the biggest thing that uh, people have to realize, and Augusta National is the iconic course that overseeds, is that you'll never have a golf course perfect when you overseed because you have to go in and out. But I think you'll see a great golf course this week. They usually shoot low scores down in the close to 59s. They're always on watch there because the greens are so good. And I think that's the biggest difference today, Curtis, is if you look at the players on tour, they make so many more putts from 8 to 10 feet. Uh, I think I saw last week a guy made on 18 holes of golf, 
made over 100 feet of putts. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And you have to have great superintendents, great golf courses, uh, conditioning to be able to make that many putts. That's averaging eight feet on every hole that you've made a putt from. I'd like to add to that, Sean. The listeners don't understand that uh, the pros really have it easier than the average golfer because the conditioning is so precise and pristine for these championships and tour events. The superintendent gears himself up for that event, and unless he gets some terrible weather, the conditions are almost perfect. The bunkers are compact. The green speeds are consistent. Uh, The turf is perfect. The reason that you're seeing so many low scores now on the tours is that the golf course superintendents are so much more adept today and they're so much in tune with the weather and what's going on and uh, they create conditions for these players that are absolutely perfect. Well, as Curtis will tell you, we'll mow, I'm sure Todd, they'll mow the greens in the morning before play, probably double cut. They'll probably mow the greens after play, a single cut, and then roll uh, to produce the speeds, but the smoothness is unbelievable. And I think that that's the key to it is, like you said, so when I always compare championship golf to everybody, they say, well, what's different from normal play is we just do everything probably two to three times more by double cutting greens, mowing fairways every day. And so the, the golf courses are just pristine from just the routine maintenance that we do on a daily basis is now doubled for a tournament like this. So an enhancement and repetition is is uh, the difference is what you're saying. Yeah. It's not that we're trying to do anything different. It's just we do it more often. We repeat it more often. And I think, you know, you, you brought something up about uh, the greens at Wildfire. You know, with the Poa Trivialis, that is such an excellent surface, but it's short term. So our viewers and listeners that, that go out to Wildfire this summer are actually going to be playing on a completely different surface than what the pros are playing on this week. And you really can't beat that surface because it is firm. It is smooth, it is fast, but it is temporary. And Curtis, they cut the greens now underneath of an eighth of an inch, as you know, and even down to a hundredth of an inch. So it's just unbelievable what they can do. Absolutely. It, it should be a great event, and uh, we'll definitely look forward to following up on, on those scores. They're going to play it from 6,679 yards, par 72. Now, moving over to the middle of the country at the web.com tour, the Chittimaca Louisiana Open at Le Triumph Golf Club in Bassard, Louisiana, is where they'll be playing this week. And it's been cold there the last couple of weeks, not ideal Bermuda weather. They're not overseeding there, so you might notice a little bit of a different look. That's a Robertson Jones Jr. golf course. And Reese, I wanted to ask you, when you grew up with your father in the business, did you play a lot of golf with your dad? I did, yeah. He took us out to play golf and... Uh played as a kid, played in a lot of junior tournaments, and he was quite a good player. He won the Rochester City Championship. He finished 10th in the Canadian Open one year. He was basically my teacher. And did you ever beat him? Oh, that's a good question. I can't remember. (laughs) I'm going to guess that there was some pretty good matches out there between you guys. Well, there were, and it, it was basically instruction, and I was always glad to get on the golf course with him because he traveled so much and was away from home. And that was an opportunity for me to bond with my father. Yeah, like all of us, those are special times. And uh, 
you know, I can imagine that traveling the world in, in the in the game of golf the way you have that uh, having some quiet time on the golf course with your dad had to be had to be special. So uh, we're going to jump into the college game really quickly. Uh, this week, the College of Charleston is hosting the uh, Briars Creek Invitational, which is a women's golf event on Briars Creek, which you designed, Reese, and uh, you were just there last week, right? Yeah, I was there last week. It's uh, just a wonderful site right up against Briars Creek and the wetlands and the long views. Eve Vanderweel is the golf pro, and she uh, lets all the College of Charleston uh, players practice there. And the, the College of Charleston is hosting this event. Last year, North Carolina won it. The three years before that, Florida won it. They have 17 teams. They played at 6,200 yards. The golf courses have been on the Golf Magazine and the Golf Digest Top 100 list. It was the best new private club uh, when it was first built. It's really quite a golf course, beautiful place to play, very strong test of golf. And the finish, uh, 15, 16, 17, and 18, really will test you. And I think that's what makes it uh, such a highly regarded golf course. Well, South Carolina's low country is not an easy place to build a golf course either. What were some of the challenges that you all face when building Briars Creek? Well, basically in the low country, which is what they really call the, the coastal areas of the Carolinas, is you have wetlands and natural areas, and we had buffers to the creek, and we just had to deal with a lot of environmental issues. Um, but it's been Audubon certified, and we really like created a standard for the environment when we built it. And I just think incorporating all the natural characteristics of the site into these phenomenal golf holes. I mean, the 18th is a par five that has so many shot options. Uh, it, Ron Witten of Golf Digest uh, really referred to it as one of the great par fives in the country. And then the par three before it is over the marsh. And then the, the par four uh, before that really kind of threads the needle into the green. So you really finish four, three, five on three really great holes that mother nature really provided for us wonderful what kind of grasses are you having there it's uh tiffy eagle on the greens and 419 in the fairways and so the rough is substantial although it's probably not that tough uh, today because it really hasn't been growing that much this winter but the weather this week it's it starts on monday and goes through tuesday it's, it's 54 holes and the weather is predicted to be quite good this week it's been a wet winter up there in South Carolina, and you said the golf course is looking great. The superintendent's been doing an excellent job. Yes, Kyle Bibbler has been there from the beginning, and um, he's been there through thick and thin. It's owned by the McNair family, Bob McNair, who owned the Houston Texans, and so they put a lot of resources into the golf course. Uh, Mr. McNair and I were very good friends, and he loved the place, and uh, it's being now, since he just passed, uh, his family has picked up the mantle, and they're, we're looking at just making improvements to the bunkers and uh, various improvements to the golf course to get ready for the future. So uh, it's really a wonderful golf course to play and just a wonderful golf course to be a member of, and uh, I'm very pleased to be associated with the McNair family. Well, certainly a privilege for the College of Charleston, and it'll be exciting to uh, see who comes out on top this year. In the men's game, Sean, your alma mater, University of Arizona, is holding a national invitational at Tucson National, which just hosted a champions event. And I know you have some familiarity with Tucson National. What kind of golf courses do they have down there in Tucson? Well, uh, 
it's a little flat in a lot of ways, but they'll play on overseeded fairways and greens and dormant rough. And what they're famous for basically is the 18th hole is one of the toughest holes on the senior tour. You got to kind of cut it in through two lakes, but it's a bomber's golf course. The teams that hit the ball the long ways will have a, a big advantage. And we just got done, Curtis, having the Michigan Invitational at Desert Mountain. And I would say to everybody out there, go watch college golf. They are great players. They're the future. You'll see the winners out there that will win on the tour in a couple of years. And actually, statistically, they hit the ball farther than the pros because they don't care where it goes. When you're young, you don't really mind hitting it out of the trees. So they're an incredible group of people to watch play golf. They're the definition of bombers. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's great. And there's a really great website called golfstat.com, which features college golf. And they outline all the venues that every tournament that's going to be held in the college game, basically, you can find it. So if you're looking for one near you, go to golfstat.com to find that. Reese and Sean, I'd like to do a quick little lightning round here. I've got one question for you. And score is not the exclusive criteria. The question is, and we'll start with you, Reese, the best round of golf of your life, who was it with and where was it played? Well, it wasn't the best score that I had, but uh, in 1998, after we redid Beth Page Black with the money that was given to us by the USJ to restore it, I shot 76 in a tournament. They had an opening day president's tournament. And uh, I had 13 pars and five bogeys, and I bogeyed the last hole, which really upset me because I hit in the side of a bank and I wasn't able to get on the green. And I still remember the shot. <laughs> but we won the tournament. Uh, I was playing with John O'Neill and Eric Leacher and one of Eric's friends. And um, we won the low net. Uh, we won the low gross. We uh, It was a best ball of two President's Cup event, which is a fundraiser uh, for the state of New York and the park system. And uh, my ball counted on every hole. Man, fantastic. That is a hell of a score on a heck of a golf course. And, and uh, Sean, how about you? Well, my day was a day after the U.S. Open at Marion. That was before they let people go play the golf course. I played it with my father, uh, my best friend, David Starzl, my high school golf coach. We went out there and played. We were the only people out there besides the contractors taking down the stuff. I mean, Marion's a great golf course. Obviously, they're redoing it right now. Uh, but that was the greatest day of golf for me. That was it, Curtis. That was the all-time greatest. And I'm not going to tell you my score because if you hit it in the rough, then it was it's pretty ugly. <laughs> so it was a high yeah. score. Well, score doesn't matter. And uh, just like score didn't matter for me on my favorite round was uh, at Cypress Point Club with my dad. And uh, we had perfect weather. Uh, we had perfect company. And uh, we enjoyed one of the most beautiful and, and one of the, the greatest golf courses on the planet. So it looks like we've all been real blessed with uh, opportunities to play some great golf. So again, for our listeners, each week, what we intend to do is review the various professional venues, what they're growing, who's growing it, who designed it, and all the relative agronomic conditioning, architectural information that you're looking for. You can find us on the coursereports.com. You'll be able to get us on Twitter, Instagram, 
Apple, Google Play, and most podcast outlets. We hope you tune in next week. We are going to have Matt Hughes from Fallen Oak Golf Club in Biloxi, Mississippi, along with a couple of other guests joining us as we walk through all of this great stuff. Reese, Sean, thank you both very much for joining me on episode one. Uh, I really appreciate your support. I enjoyed the conversation, and I think our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing both of you when they download us. So again, guys, thank you very much, and I hope you have a great week. You too, Curtis. Thank you. Thank you, Curtis. Thanks, guys. And next week, guys, don't forget to download and tune in. This is The Course Reports.